Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard, How to Do the Work Masterclass. Last episode, we explored the concept of boundaries, or the new limits we can begin to set for ourselves to create change in our relationships. Both in and out of our relationships, most of us continue to tend to our needs in the same ways we learned in childhood. As adults, it is important that we create new habits to better meet the deeper needs of our authentic self. This episode, Jenna and I will dive in to chapter 11 of How to Do the Work, Reparenting. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode. So reparenting, let's begin by defining what actually is reparenting. The practice of reparenting is essentially relearning how to meet our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual needs. As a reminder, our spiritual needs that we all share universally as humans is to be seen, to be heard, and to be safe enough to fully express who we are and how we are in the world. These needs are met through a process of reparenting or through daily dedicated action. The first question that I think a lot of us think when we hear about this concept of reparenting, especially as adults, is why would we need to reparent ourselves if we are already adults? The reality for most of us is that we were raised by parent figures who never learned how to meet their own needs, let alone how to show up in service of teaching us how to meet needs that were uniquely ours. Many of our parent figures didn't create safe environments due to their own lack of emotional maturity. Being unable to process their emotions, many of us grew up in households in environments with parent figures or others who were emotionally reactive or maybe withdrawn, creating an environment where it just didn't feel safe for us or where we were unable to even express our needs. Many of our parent figures were unable to set or to communicate or honor boundaries, keeping us all stuck in cycles that lacked safety and that resulted in inability to express and to meet our needs. So very logically then into adulthood, many of us need to engage in the journey of honoring the needs of the deeper self that were never met since childhood. And a reminder here for everyone listening who had a parent, so all of us, or is a parent, that this inability to set or communicate those boundaries, everything that Nicole just mentioned, does not make someone wrong or bad. Everyone who is a caretaker or a parent figure or was at some time did the best that they could with the tools they had at the time. So it's not wrong or bad. It just simply is what is and what that person could do with what they had at that time. So some examples of a parent who's unable to meet their own needs, like Nicole mentioned, parent figure can't identify their own needs, then they're obviously unable to meet their own needs. So this may look like someone who betrays themselves to receive love and validation, or someone who lives in a state of resentment because they believe others should just know what they need versus communication. Nicole also mentioned parent figures who lack emotional maturity. So what does that look like? Some examples of emotional immaturity in parents or the lack of emotional maturity could be a parent who throws tantrums, a parent figure who acts selfishly or defensively, a parent figure, a caretaker who often the entire family unit ends up revolving around their moods. Another example is a parent figure unable to hear and validate the needs of the child and family. So essentially someone wrapped up in their world of what's happening to them and not attuned to the needs and the wants of those around them, specifically the child and other family members. 
I'm sure many of you listening out there are resonating with one or more of the descriptions that we're using, really highlighting the fact that many of us do, even as adults, need to engage or enter into a process of reparenting. So the, the biggest goal, really, of what the reparenting process offers us, the opportunity to become the wise inner parent that we've always needed and that many of us just didn't have in our childhoods. A wise inner parent is someone who's able to compassionately validate your feelings, your needs, and your reality by witnessing them instead of instinctually judging them as a critical parent often does. To be a wise inner parent is about cultivating acceptance, honoring those deeper needs, and creating space in our lives so that we can begin to action to meet those needs. The process of reparenting is really aimed to help us rebuild the lost trust in ourselves that helps us rebuild the lost worth in ourselves. So many of us at our core feel unworthy of even having those needs met. So the process of reparenting really does allow us to begin to feel worthy at our core. So many of us are walking around without that self-worth, without that self-trust. So like Nicole's saying, we need to begin a process then of actually cultivating it, creating it, beginning to trust ourselves again. But for example, now a few ways to begin building that lost trust are by setting small daily promises, as you've heard us mention time and time again, engaging in acts of self-care, taking care of yourself and your body, Speaking kindly to yourself. This is so important. Speaking kindly to yourself as if you were a child in pain, as if you were a child crying out. How would you cater to that child? How would you speak to them? Give yourself that same language, that same love and compassion. And as always, self-reflection and self-witnessing. You hear us say this time and time again, and we'll continue to. This is a very foundational and really necessary practice. So self-witnessing and self-reflection. So on the journey of building self-trust, a great way and a simple way to begin doing this practice is to start your day by asking yourself, what can I do for myself in this moment? Actually taking the time to ask yourself this question, what can I do for myself in this moment? The more that you do this, the more it will become an automatic response to the world around you that will reconnect you with your intuition. This is so important. This is why we say you must practice. The more you spend time asking this question to yourself and letting yourself come to the answers with this practice, you will begin responding more as your authentic self naturally. Now, the most important thing of all with each of these tips that, that, again, we'll dive into more later in the episode is the follow through. These are all great intentions to set. Now, if you set these intentions to do this self-care, to practice this self-witnessing, you're part of the way there. So good job. Now, the most important part is to keep going and actually follow through. Healing and doing the work is in action. So you must follow through with the intentions that you are setting through action. So like Jenna said, we're going to dive deeper into now what we call the four pillars of reparenting. As another reminder, in addition to practice, and I can't agree with that more, Jenna, it's why we created the Self-Healer Circle where we show up to practice this alongside all of our community members. So outside of that suggestion that I'm definitely going to reiterate, practice is so incredibly important. It's also really important to keep in mind that this process isn't linear. There are no steps one, two, three, four that apply to all of us, which is why we're going to talk about these concepts in pillar form. So the first pillar that we're going to talk about or the first area that we can begin to address for the process of repairing 
parenting is around our emotions, to beginning to develop emotional regulation or simply the ability to respond to stress in a flexible and an adaptive way that allows our nervous system to return back to baseline. Those of you listeners who have been with us through this journey knows that we've spent a lot of time talking about our nervous system for a specific reason. Because when we don't feel safe, our nervous system is going to shift into reaction. So safety and cultivating safety in all of our relationships especially in our relationship with ourself, is really the foundation for emotional regulation. So how do we do that? We go back and we revisit, in particular, the chapter on mind-body healing. In there is all of the exercises around our vagus nerve, which is how we create that flexibility, how we allow our body to engage with the stressor, simply to become stressed, and then to return back to that baseline. Those of you who have read that chapter or have listened to that episode might find these suggestions familiar. This is where a deep belly breath can come in handy. Learning how to regulate our body and again, our nervous system response helps us cultivate emotional regulation or emotional resilience. Again, the ability to deal with our shifting emotional states. This is where it extends beyond just stress. This is where we become able or resilient to deal with anger, sadness, and the whole spectrum of emotions that again, activate our bodies. So the first pillar, the first area, and again, we can begin by acknowledging how we're doing in terms of emotional regulation to begin, but we definitely wanna address our emotions so that we can begin to create much needed safety in our lives and in our relationships. A really super practical tip that I want to highlight there, Nicole, that you just mentioned is that deep belly breath. This is a really great tool that can be used very quickly all throughout your day-to-day lives when we're working to really stop and regulate ourselves after a reactive moment. So this is a great tool to kind of keep in your toolbox, if you will, to pull out through the day when you notice yourself in that reactivity or you notice that heightened emotional response. I really like to put one hand on my belly and put the other hand on my heart. And it really is just taking a moment then. I like to feel my heartbeat, taking a really deep inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth. Again, this will help you regulate that nervous system in those moments when you feel yourself beginning to dysregulate. Thank you. Such a helpful practical suggestion. Again, consistency is key here. Here's where I you know, break the news to everyone listening that one deep belly breath isn't going to fully shift our nervous system out of that state of activation, right? We want to have that in our back pocket and use it consistently. What's important takeaway before we shift pillars is that the body is involved because our nervous system has shifted into reaction that we can now consciously help return our body to that state of balance. And I suggest we do consistently. So the next pillar of reparenting that we can shift into is loving discipline. Now, discipline is a really important part of our healing process. It helps us to essentially show up for ourselves so that we can begin to meet these needs that we keep talking about, the needs of our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual self. Discipline helps us to, for some of us, rebuild or to build anew a sense of reliability that I do, can, and do show up for myself. Not many of us were modeled or taught how 
to consistently show up to meet our own needs. And even more problematically, a lot of us were modeled really shame-based perceptions of this concept around discipline itself, where we associate discipline with punishment or with being quote-unquote bad in some way. So I really do want to highlight here the emphasis on the word loving in terms of discipline, because we can become too rigid. Here's where we want to watch this concept of shoulds. So anyone who has that militant style discipline in our past or who just knows we have a little militant in our own minds, watch how much you're putting that label on what you think you should be doing. Because I know a lot of us, even it can get confusing because some of the shoulds we put on ourselves might on surface seem positive, right? I should get up early, for instance, to go take care of my body or to do my workout routine. Well, who's to say I should do that tomorrow if maybe I didn't sleep all night? Maybe tomorrow morning I shouldn't get up early. Maybe tomorrow morning I should allow my body to rest. So we want to build in not only loving discipline, compassionate, and discipline where we acknowledge the needs of the self that do change in each moment. So watch those shoulds, because a lot of times those shoulds come from ideas that are outside of the self and not actually connect it with what my body or my emotional center might need in that moment. This concept of shoulds always makes me think back to these endless to-do lists that I would create, even as you're saying, in a in a positive way, in a disciplined way, right? They're all for different self-care activities or I'm going to meditate, I'm going to read, I'm going to journal, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to do <laughs> yoga, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to do them all before seven o'clock because I've got up two hours earlier. So in a way, I giggle to myself because I still do, I like those lists and there is a way to reiterate what you mentioned before in emotional regulation, that flexibility and adaptability that carries through all of these pillars. So when we're talking about loving discipline, as you're saying, it's removing that rigidity. While some of these may seem really simple, the thing to pay attention to is how often we're not doing things almost because they're so simple. So as you're listening to, keep an open mind that while we know sometimes we're not teaching you anything new and some of these things really do seem so simplistic, it's the actual act of carrying it out that so many of us are missing. So some practical examples of how to create this loving discipline in your days. Again, we're building consistent habits here. So it's not a one and done. This is a consistent practice over and over, like keeping small promises to yourself every day. This could be as simple as brushing your teeth before you consume anything, or like Allie, who's mentioned in How to Do the Work, drinking that glass of water before anything else in your day, making your bed upon rising as soon as you get out of bed, doing these habits consistently. Developing habits and routines. Now, these can keep small promises throughout the day. So developing a habit or developing a routine of those small daily promises may make this simpler for you. So I love routines. I love rituals, right? A good morning ritual. Just that hydrating, stretching, walking, moving, taking some time to yourself. If you've noticed, each of those things I just mentioned, hydrating, stretching my body, moving, walking, reading, all of those could be small promises that I've committed to myself. So already now I've created a habit and I'm also fulfilling on my small daily promises and self-care. Some evening routines, what I love doing, just showering before bed, something as simple as flossing your teeth. Now I know I say simple when really it is that simple and how often do we not do it? 
dimming the lights before bedtime, turning your screens off, just making that commitment to really wind down. Now, the key here is to intentionally do it. You're intentionally relaxing and choosing to do so, even if it's just 15 minutes before bed. Now, again, I'll reiterate, the key is to do something every day. It's to do this consistently. If you do it once and you miss a day, still did a great job. That means the next day, you need to jump right back on and do it consistently. You will begin then to build up the trust that you will show up consistently for yourself. Another simple example, saying no to things that don't serve you. Now, I know some of you might laugh when I say saying no is something so simple, right? To break it to you, it actually is. You can say no. I understand it's uncomfortable sometimes, it's more difficult, but all of those conversations around why we don't do it actually aren't serving us. So if there's something that is not aligned to you, that doesn't feel right to you, that you don't actually want to go to, plans you don't actually want to keep, it is your responsibility and opportunity to show up for yourself and say, no, I don't want to do that, that doesn't serve me. Another example, holding boundaries even when it's uncomfortable. Now, I know this is a big one, even for me personally. Whenever we set a boundary, especially if it's uncomfy, it can be really difficult or increasingly uncomfortable to uphold that boundary. So what does upholding that boundary mean? Say you've asked your mother to not talk about your ex anymore. You don't want to have conversations about them. You don't want to discuss it with your mom. And yet your mom continues to bring up your ex over and over and over, wants to chat about it makes you uncomfortable, might even make you frustrated and angry, right? You've set a boundary with your mom and she's not respecting it. So you might be uncomfortable and it's your responsibility to restate your boundary. And this is the most important part. Continue to follow through with ending or redirecting the conversation. If you've set a boundary and your mother isn't following it, still wants to chat about this ex, you can kindly remind your mother that you set that boundary, you wish to not discuss it, and then it's up to you to either exit the conversation or end the conversation or redirect the conversation. So keeping those boundaries, remember you created them for you, you're responsible for upholding them. Another example, disconnecting and spending time in self-reflection. This is my favorite example and tool really for loving discipline, spending time with self, putting your electronics away, putting your phone away, putting anything away that pulls your attention away from you, away from your heart. My favorite to do this in is nature. Being in nature, whether it be with a journal, reflecting, or just quite literally sitting next to a tree, staring at the leaves, admiring the flowers, nature itself is grounding. You'll notice your heart rate and your body ground and calm when you're in nature. So this is a really big one, disconnecting from the external world and just spending time in reflection with you. Another final example for loving discipline is clearly stating your needs in an objective and non-judgmental language. What does this look like? This looks like doing that thing that's not always easy to do, right? It means communicating honestly and calmly that you might need some time for yourself, that you might need support, that you need space. It means tuning into your own needs and then calmly and honestly expressing them outward to those around you. Now, remember, these acts of discipline should be a loving one. They shouldn't be rigid. They should be flexible. They should be adaptive. They don't all need to get done in a day. If we're too rigid in this discipline and we leave no room for that flexibility and the inevitable mistake, which is going to happen because you're human, 
It can result in destructive patterns that do not express the true wants and needs of our authentic self. So the act of loving discipline itself means loving yourself. When we did this inside the self-healer circle, we got to see different acts and ways that our members showed loving discipline for themselves. And it was fun. It was playful. It was joyous. So remember to have that sort of that freedom and that play about it. It's really time for you to nourish you and to really love on you. So speaking about loving yourself, shifting into the third pillar, we're going to talk a bit about self-care. And I very intentionally uh, voiced that segue from loving self into self-care because I think a lot of us have been taught um, that self-care is, is privileged or is indulgent, is an unnecessary additional thing that quite honestly, very few of us have the privilege or opportunity to engage in. The way I view self-care, actually, it's self-care includes all of the daily ways that we can show up helping to support our physical, our emotional, or our spiritual self. Any act, really, that's aimed at supporting our needs that helps us to, like Jenna was very beautifully describing, rebuild our self-worth is an act of self-care. It actually shows us through consistent daily action, the act of caring for ourselves, of meeting our needs each and every day in a consistent way, shows us that act of caring for the self helps us to, over time, begin to believe that we're worthy of being cared for. Because the very many of us that for all of the reasons haven't had our needs met, we at our core don't believe in that sense of worthiness. We don't believe that we have the right to show up in these acts of self-care. Let's throw away this idea that self-care is some act of indulgence and let's really reframe it for what it is. These daily acts of caring for our needs help rebuild our self-worth, help over time begin to convince ourselves that we are worthy and worth that level of care. So some examples of self-care might be going to bed a little earlier, might be cooking and or eating a home-cooked meal, might be, like Jenna said, carving out time to spend alone, whether it's five minutes in meditation, whether it's five minutes journaling, whether it's five minutes moving your body, right? These are all actions that we can take for ourselves, our emotional, our physical selves. It could also, my one of my favorite places to, to care for myself too, like Jenna, is nature. It could be going out in nature, allowing the sun or the grass to connect with our bodies, Speaking of bodies, it could also be connecting with a human that we love, physically, emotionally, sharing space, connecting with someone else could be that act of self-care that your emotional self needs. I really love that reframe, Nicole, of self-care, going from that sort of privileged, self-indulgent act to really a loving act to yourself. I look forward to those things now. So this sense of self-care switched and shifted from this rigid duty of I have to do this, I have to do or should do X, Y, and Z to I get to do this for me. I get to do this for my mind, for my body, for my soul, for my heart. So it's something now that I really look forward to. So instead of that, you know, I I should work out because it's coming from a core belief of really shame and self-hatred that I need to do and fix and change something. I actually now get to have a soft more loving and gentle practice of I'm going to work out because it makes me feel good. I like the way my body feels after. I like the way that my mind feels. I have more energy. This is the vessel that I'm spending this lifetime in. I want to nourish her and take care of her. So self-care for me has really shifted from a have to to a get to on my journey and has really become a foundational and 
grounding practice that now I build all of my healing on. It is the first thing I do in the morning and the last thing I do before going to bed. And there's a concept here that really helped me as I began doing this that I call stacking. So if you're already doing something in the morning, like brushing your teeth, then adding on something else like flossing your teeth or washing your face or drinking a glass of water beforehand. If you know there is something that you already consistently do, maybe try stacking on another self-care tool that you can while you're doing it or right before and after. This will help you ease into that consistent practice so it does become an automatic response and routine for you. For me, as I mentioned before, I love morning and evening rituals. So just cleansing, caring for myself. And again, I know these things sound so simple and they're so simple that how often do we say, I'm going to crawl into bed before brushing my teeth. I'm just not going to shower today. It's not necessarily about the attachment of, oh, I have to show up clean. It's about honoring and spending time with yourself, knowing that, hey, actually, body, really love you and everything you do for me all day long. I'm going to take care of you. So you're telling yourself, you're going to take care of yourself, your physical self, your mental self, your emotional self. Hydrating and eating whole foods. We've talked about this a bit before in some previous episodes. This is so important. Nourishing your body with the most nutritious whole food that you have accessible to you is so important. How our bodies are internally, how our nervous system's going to respond, how the health of our cells in our body are is directly impacted and is a direct result of the food and consumption that we're putting into our body. Consistently building in acts of self-care or practices of self-care into my days, like simply going for a walk with headphones, listening to a book, spending time in nature, admiring the sky and flowers. These practices allow me to love both little Jenna and big Jenna at the same time, letting her know that I'm here for her first, which allows me to then rely on and fulfill my own physical, emotional, and spiritual nourishment. I love how you brought up the concept of stacking, Jenna, because I know a lot of us out there do have that one thing that we can add something onto. For those of us who don't, I just want to highlight something that's important here to consider, especially those of us that have obligations, right? Those of us that do continuously say, I don't have time or where will I fit this act for me? I have a family, I have kids, I have et cetera, et cetera. Time is so important to consider, right? So if we don't yet have um, a, a routine in the mornings, we have to consider creating time, which might be setting our alarm clock a half hour earlier before our children or our family get up so that we have the time to begin to stack or to create these beautiful acts of self-care in. Oftentimes that commitment to creating time in the morning begins the night before? What time am I getting into bed so that I can comfortably set my alarm and action, get up when that alarm goes off? So without going into a tangent, right, we want to make sure that we're setting ourselves up to succeed, that we're the first habit we might want to create using that example is an earlier bedtime so that then I can get up a bit earlier. And then over time, I can begin to make new commitments in that space of time before all of the other obligations come at me. Jenna brought up another important point, which is so many of us are going to have to begin to make and keep these promises before that belief shifts, before we begin to acknowledge how worthy we are. Don't wait to feel worthy before we begin to create these acts of self-care. Begin to make and keep those promises first. And then through actioning on those promises, over time, that belief does 
begin to shift. So the final pillar of reparenting is what we're calling childlike wonder, which includes creativity and imagination, joy and spontaneity. The reality for the large majority of us as adults is many of us were not raised in homes where childlike wonder was valued. Sometimes it wasn't even tolerated. I mean, thinking back, how many of us or how many of you listeners were told, maybe even directly, that artists don't make money or that whatever thing it was that lit you up as a child right, was not worth your time or your pursuit? How many of us had parent figures or caregivers who ignored or suppressed their own creative hobbies in favor of more practical pursuits or maybe more shoulds? How many of us were punished for playing when maybe we were supposed to be working or doing our homework? Right? Again, all of these are messages that creativity, spontaneity, there's no place for that. And we become then an adult and I will speak from my own lived experience, I couldn't find joy. I couldn't find spontaneity in my day to day. So for me, I know that all of the time that I spent dissociated, living on my spaceship in a mode of protection, not feeling safe, I actually, like many of you out there listening who had similar experiences, I had been unable to feel joyful, to feel spontaneous. Because when we're locked in a state of a nervous system response, though that state of creativity, of flow, of imagination is downright impossible. So for many people listening like myself, when I say these words, joy, creativity, imagination, spontaneity, you might be like I was, looking around wondering where the heck it is in your life, not able to access that. And again, that really does highlight the need for that deeper level of healing, particularly in our bodies and in our nervous systems. Because when we don't feel safe at our core, we actually can't be free enough to access those states. So simple practices, how we can begin to reparent, to find the childlike wonder again in our lives, begin to sing or dance freely, maybe doing something unplanned or spontaneous, not making a schedule for Saturday and just seeing what you feel like doing on Saturday. Maybe this is finding or returning to an old habit or something you did in childhood that you maybe stopped doing. It might be complimenting someone, right? Being personable, being playful out in a social setting. And it might be, again, just connecting, being playful with other people, making plans, playing board games. There's so many things that we can do with others, with other people in our life to uncover that childlike wonder within. As mentioned earlier, we have a reparenting course inside of our self-healer circle. And when that course was released during that live month of it, it was so fun to see pictures or videos or shares of what different members were doing, whether it was painting or engaging with friends or dancing, doing something new. And for many of them, and if you're listening, thinking, you know, well, that's great for them. I'm not just going to go dance down the street. That's totally fine. And the beauty of witnessing it within our membership that we saw was that so many of our members were just like you listening where they couldn't imagine doing that. And that's part of this process and act of reparenting, right? These are things that, you know, you likely would have done in childhood and many of us didn't. So imagine doing something 
as an adult for the first time or learning how to tie your shoe as an adult for the first time. It may feel foreign. It may feel uncomfortable. And it really is an opportunity to sort of to shake it out and to play, to try something new, and also to acknowledge that you may feel uncomfortable along the way. You might not feel comfy just singing and dancing like Nicole wasn't. And, you know, now just sitting in the living room, she'll just start dancing across the floor, start moonwalking. And through her reparenting process, she's now gotten herself out of that lock of that inability to do so and to have that childlike wonder. And she's actually now spent time cultivating it where I'm able to witness and see it as that's now Nicole's being. It's not foreign anymore. It actually unlocked little Nicole in a way that she was never able to be free. So it is an opportunity to to get curious and to be playful and maybe try some new things out. Little Nicole is smiling and feeling very seen right now. So thank you, Jenna, <laughs> and also a little embarrassed. No, I'm just joking. Um, but seriously, that I really love that that reminder too, or that acknowledgement first and foremost of how silly this might begin to make some of us feel, or even just the silliness of imagining myself do it might be what prevents me. Something else that I think prevents a lot of us from getting started is not knowing where to begin. Here we've spent, you know, some time now talking about these needs, you know, of our physical, emotional self, our spiritual essence. We might not know what our needs are. And if you're someone like me who never practiced creating the space to ask yourself, who was living on a spaceship, not connected to the body to even begin to know, chances are you your starting point is going to be like mine. I have no idea. I share my story with you to normalize how okay it is to be well into adulthood for many of us and to not know. Um, as we begin to, to reconnect, or maybe we first begin to realize how disconnected we are from ourselves, we can begin to feel a deep sense of loneliness. We can feel insecure. It might even feel scary when we're really face-to-face -face with this vast disconnection that has been created in our lives. All of those feelings are normal. As we then begin to maybe even just ask the questions, what are our needs, what's going on, and we begin to become aware then of needs that have gone unmet, this then makes space for a lot of other feelings to begin to come to the surface. I might feel grief. I might feel angry when I see the effects of all of these unmet needs over time. So for me, as I began to question, I felt very alone inside, very on my own, very unsure of how to find my way. And I was becoming very clear and aware of where that disconnection came from, that lack of emotional safety in my childhood. And I will very honestly share with all of you that I felt a, a deep sadness, a deep grief. I almost couldn't even give it words, you know, imagining or maybe even just feeling. For me, it wasn't even me picturing a little Nicole in that environment. It was just a feeling that was just coming up and out. And that's part of reparenting too, is allowing compassionately, not judging, not me judging myself for having that crying that came up for me, allowing it to be. Because part of the journey of reparenting is emotional. It's pulling back that onion, seeing those unmet needs, and then allowing whatever it is that comes up in reaction to those unmet needs to safely be okay, because it is okay. And it's, it's okay, and it's a process. Like we've mentioned a few times, reparenting is a process. And as Nicole said, it's okay to not know those answers right away. 
it makes total sense that you may not know what your needs are if you've never taken a moment or created the space to ask yourself what those needs are. The answers quite literally have had no space to live into. You've never asked them before. It's never been created. So going back to earlier, that suggestion of beginning your day or just asking yourself whenever you have time available, whenever you've created time to make available to ask yourself this question, what am I needing most right now? What are my needs? Spending time in self-reflection to even ask that question, even if the answers don't come right away, if you've created space for them and you consistently ask yourself, what am I needing right now? The answers will come. And as we've said again, it is a process. And to parents, to anyone listening who is a parent or will be a parent, Please watch the expectations that you are putting on yourself with your own children. Just like we're talking about the expectations or even the expectations little Jenna put on herself as a child. It is inevitable. It's okay. You are human. We are human. Now, while I don't have children of my own, I now have had the opportunity and quite literally the responsibility now as an adult to raise little Jenna. That little Jenna from childhood who never had that parent figure is still here and still very much a part of me, which leads us to a question from Kristen about parenting in the reparenting process. Hi, this is Kristen out of the Pacific Northwest, United States of America. I am questioning reparenting. I guess really it would be ultimately parenting. I'm curious if you can give some good references to actually what good parenting looks like. Um, without getting into too many details, my past is strewn with bad parenting. I have my own child, and I'm um, committed to parenting properly away from the traumas that I experienced, and I would like some definite guidelines, books maybe, references on what good parenting consists of. Thanks so much. Thank you, Kristen. Kristen's question is about parenting when there is trauma in your past. I want to start out by acknowledging the awareness um, that I'm hearing in Kristen's question itself of the effects of the, her, the past, the parenting choices. I think it was strewn with bad parenting was the language used. But essentially the awareness that we do have a past that continues into the present. And many of us as parents unconsciously pass those habits and patterns onto our children. So the awareness, right? The awareness that, okay, I had these past. I know the things that had happened to me might be having an effect on my child is an incredibly important awareness to begin. Now, I get this question a lot, which is why we're answering this live here today, because from very well-meaning parents, I often get asked, okay, how do I show up and help my child, help them avoid the pain that I had in my own past? How do I, quote unquote, parent better? And here's where I give the example that I know not a lot of parents like to hear. This is one of those moments where it's not about what are we saying or how are we instructing our child differently. Here's one of those moments where it's more about what are we doing? The impact of what we're modeling, the impact of how we're showing up in relationship with our children is going to be far greater than what we're saying, than these guidelines that anyone could provide. With the reality being that all of us are unique humans. So each of you that do have children have a unique little child. Even if they seem similar to you in whatever way they seem similar, at their core, they are unique 
being. So this idea of a universal way to quote unquote be a quote unquote good parent is really problematic because we have to build in for the unique expression that each of us have inside of us. So modeling, this is where the work for Kristen and any other parents or caregivers out there is not about saying the right thing when my child next needs me to. It's about what are all of the things that I'm modeling for my children to see. Because we all have neurons in our brain that are called mirror neurons that actually fire when we're watching someone else behave in the world. And that is why when I say the impact is greater and what are we seeing someone else do, then what are we hearing? Because as we're watching someone else behave, our brain is firing as if we're doing that same action. Now let that sink in because even a parent who very well intentionally is giving the right instruction, if they're walking around and modeling in behavior, something completely different, the child is a sponge taking in the behavior down to their neurons firing in their brain as if they're doing it. This is why the impact is so great of what are we seeing? What are we experiencing? And why so many of us then carry that into our future. So the simple answer is to begin the process of reparenting, Kristen, to look inward, to begin to identify and meet the needs of your own that have gone unmet so that you can model then this process for your child who is watching and who is being impacted by what they're seeing. Really, it's simply put, how we are showing up for our children is how we're showing up for ourselves. So as Nicole mentioned, there needs to be that alignment between what you're saying and what you're doing. Your child's going to learn more through, your child's going to learn more and get most of their parenting through watching what it is you're doing versus what you're saying, as Nicole mentioned. So when you're taking yourself through that act of reparenting, that in itself is parenting. You showing up for your child is a direct result of how you're showing up for yourself. So if you look at yourself as the core, because you are the core of the whole world around you, when you're showing up for you, when you're taking yourself through that reparenting process, even if you're building a new morning routine or just one new thing in the morning or a one new nighttime routine or even teaching a child why you're doing this one thing because it's good for your heart, because your body likes being grounded in nature. That's such a valuable lesson for, yes, you to teach your child, but also for them to just simply watch and model you doing as they'll begin to unconsciously do the same thing. So they'll actually begin reparenting or parenting themselves in the same way with the same four pillars that you're utilizing as you go through this reparenting process. So how you're showing up for them is really how you're showing up for you. So speaking of generations, we talked a little bit about parenting or reparenting when we have future generations or our younger generations. Now we have a question coming in about reparenting with older generations or within families with our parents. Hey there, my name is Ellie and I'm from New York City. So I'm going to ask a question that might uh, be very relevant to my Asian peers uh, in first and, generation, first and second generation American households. Um, just wanted to ask you um, how to prioritize yourself when you were always trying to prioritize the needs of others, uh, especially your parents and your relatives, and navigating health issues, personal issues, financial issues um, as a kid and growing up. Because I think that um, a lot of my peers who have gone through this 
do not know how to guide themselves in a meaningful way. And we're really good at serving others and at the expense of betraying our own interests. So just wanted to ask you how to parent yourself out of that and trying to prioritize more of what you need um, as a person. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Ellie, for your calling in with your question. Ellie's question is about reparenting within a collectivist culture. Um, as many of us do come, you know, from cultures where we are given messages about the importance of family, you know, we really do struggle when we hear messages suggesting that we put ourselves first. So first, I want to acknowledge the awareness, again, that I'm hearing in the question of Ellie's kind of self-identifying the tendency to betray to betray their own needs in service of others. That's the first step. And I'm stopping there on and calling it a step because some of us are doing this unconsciously, not even yet aware that we are putting everyone else before ourselves. So by highlighting that that's actually a part of the process, coming to conscious awareness, bearing witness to that tendency is the first step in the journey because that then allows us to begin to make new conscious choices. Now, the reality is, especially for those of us that are, are coming from cultures where it is ingrained, show up. I mean, I'm one of those people. From my Italian household, I can't tell you how much I heard the mantra still to this day. Family is everything. It might as well have been hanging you know, on, on a wall in my home. Very much embedded in a lot of our culture is that belief that family comes above all sometimes even above our own selves. Now, the reality of it is, if we're not factoring in, if our needs are continuously going unmet, we actually can't show up in service of anyone or anything outside of ourselves. We actually become quite selfish um, because for a lot of us, we're in a state of need. We're in a state of lack. We might even be in a state of nervous system reaction. We might be unsafe because those needs aren't met. So to really fully show up in service of the community, of the collective, as I truly believe the goal of this work is, is to show up as a full whole human first. The final chapter of the book that we're going to talk a lot about in two episodes is interdependence, that actual practice of showing up as a collective whole. So I, I'm just highlighting that because I do see sometimes or I do hear misinterpretations when we talk about factoring individual needs inside of a community with this idea that there is no individual in community. So I'm here to suggest otherwise. Until we become a full safe individual, we're, we're actually quite unsafe and not authentic in service of the community. So the work, as always, is the reparenting journey, is beginning to identify and prioritize over time our own needs, knowing that especially if you're someone like myself, right, like Ellie, if you have any of this messaging that family is first, family is everything, anticipate that as you do begin to factor your own needs in, you'll feel badly. You might feel guilty, you might feel wrong, you might feel quote unquote like a bad selfish person for doing it. And again, being able to reframe that, you know, as a remnant of the conditioning, not the reality, reminding ourselves that until we're safe, until we're balanced, until my needs are met, me showing up in community isn't in service of the community itself. So the journey remains making those small daily promises for some of us beginning to even engage in the process of identifying our needs. This is where Jen and I were talking about. If you're coming from that collectivist culture, you probably are going to be like me, like Jenna. I have no idea where to start or how to start. 
So the process is starting and is in, is in acknowledging the self as an active member, a whole full member, contributing member of that community. One thing that sticks out in your question, Ellie, that Nicole also highlighted is that act of service or serving others at the expense of betraying yourself. And we spoke about in a previous episode, I forget which one, different archetypes. So anyone out there listening who you may also see yourself here, it's that serving or that service of others um, that I very greatly embodied as a child and still embody in some ways. And it's so important here, as Nicole also mentioned, that interdependence chapter, which we'll get to is you actually are the whole. So how you are caring for you and you putting yourself first is actually a reflection of those people around you. It's going to be a reflection of the whole. If you're abandoning yourself and betraying yourself and your own needs in service of others, in a macro sense, it's actually betraying us all. And again, we'll touch more on that once we get to that interdependence chapter, but I really did resonate with that part of your question, Ellie. And as Nicole mentioned too, there's going to be there's going to be feelings and emotions that come up. I know now I've I've created a life and a position where I'm able to be financially responsible. I'm able to meet my own needs. I'm able to help care for the finances of some of those in my family. And for me, that was something I'd always wanted to do and in times in the past would do at the expense of betraying and harming myself when I wasn't even set up in a position to do it. But I was doing it out of this sort of feel about or this guilt. And it did come from love. It also did come from these emotions of guilt. So even now being in that position, those emotions do still come up. And I really just want to take a moment to to also normalize that, that in this process, while you are meeting your own needs, it is normal to experience that grief. I know as a child, food was scarce at times, and there were sometimes McDonald's or Burger King had 39-cent hamburgers. So my mom would go and load us up on bags of these 39-cent hamburgers, and she wouldn't eat any of them. She'd only eat the crust or the bun that was left over. And this wasn't for always, but there were some years of childhood that were like this. And I developed a really a really deep guilt in association then to food. So when I was caring for myself, when I was beginning to eat nutritious whole foods that I did have access to or that were a little pricier, when I made that a priority for myself, there were waves and tsunamis of of grief and really of guilt that came with that, that I really had to work through and just normalize, it's okay. And it's okay for me to be putting myself first and taking care of me first. And over the years of doing that for me, once I was able to show up and nourish my own self, my own core needs, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, I now am in a position to help genuinely care for and serve those needs of others because I started here with me first. An important takeaway that I'm hearing from all of this is when we do this work, we gift ourselves with the opportunity to create choice. Here's that word again. So, you know, as we engage in this reparenting journey, this doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to the loved ones around us or the family members that need us. It just means that we evolve into a space of choice where we get to now show up from our adult self and decide whether or not we can and want to meet the needs of the family around us at any given time, as opposed to the habit that most of us engage in when we come from these cultures, we just show up unconsciously out of obligation. And the road that we travel down when we travel down obligation and putting everyone else's needs before ours is a road that ends up in resentment. 
So we actually, and resentment we know can, can kill a relationship, can end one. So while we do think on the surface and maybe immediately we do feel like maybe mom, to use Jenna's example, felt like she was putting her hungry children first and mom not fueling her body, mom wasn't giving herself the resources to stay emotionally balanced to help her children in the next moment where they might need her. In the moment though, mom felt, I'm sure, she was selflessly giving to her children. Right. So sometimes we have to pull it back and understand that. So serving our needs now helps create safety in ourselves and a more sustainable relationship for the other people around us. Thank you for tuning in and listening and we'll see you next week.